And we are in the book of 2 Peter today. So just so you know, before we dive into 2 Peter, and I made reference to this when we were talking, when we were going through 1 Peter. Um, but 2 Peter, there is controversy today over who the author of 2 Peter is. There's many that say it wasn't Peter. It was not Peter. And so you may have heard this. If you haven't, I promise you, your kids will hear this. That in, and really, it's a way to try to undermine our confidence in Scripture by saying, well, we have just, you know, we have no idea who wrote it. It definitely wasn't Peter. Therefore, that questions like whether we can even trust it and really the validity of the message of 2 Peter. So that's something you're going to hear from a lot of scholars today, from a lot of modern day scholars. Believe it or not, there's actually, I remember I was like really shocked by this, Larry, when I first discovered this, like, that there's actually like Bible scholars out there, like they don't actually believe the Bible, they don't love the Lord, but they actually like study these things, and really their point is to try to disprove and discredit Scripture. So a lot of scholars today will say Peter didn't write Second Peter, and the reason for that is they say the way the Greek is written in First Peter and Second Peter, just like the way the grammar is, it's just clearly that it's two different authors. Now the first part of that is true. The style of how the Greek's written and the grammar, it is much different from 1 Peter to 2 Peter. But it's really not a problem for us because I think there's a really simple answer and solution to that. And that is, well, we see Peter seemed to make it clear that it was Sylvanus was the individual that wrote what he dictated for 1 Peter. And that's not uncommon. It wouldn't have been uncommon at all that the writers would have like a scribe, what we would call a secretary, that would actually write down what was dictated to them. So a simple possibility just could be that his man Sylvanus wasn't available when he was dictating and writing Second Peter. That could be one um, really easy, I guess, answer and, and not out of the realm of, of possibility. In fact, it, I think it could be highly likely that it was just someone different that wrote that dict or that that wrote what Peter dictated for Second Peter. But it's also something that I think, and I know this can go both ways, right? So I'm not just picking on the skeptic and the critic of of the Bible because I know that, like as believers, we can sometimes do this too. But I think that what a lot of them are banking on is they can throw something out there. And then just not really expect that people are going to dive into it. Just take my word for it. Like, for example, like what Bart Ehrman says about 2 Peter is, all scholars know and agree that Peter didn't write it. <laughs> like, like, he just makes that statement. He says, because after all, Peter was just an Aramaic-speaking peasant. And he didn't know Greek. That's his claim. Now, by the way, he might be right. He might be right that Hey, Peter just was an Aramaic-speaking peasant. But again, if he used a secretary, if he used a scribe to write down what he was dictating, it really doesn't change a whole lot. But also, I would argue that point, that Peter was an Aramaic-only speaking peasant. For example, Peter came from a place called Bethesda. Bethesda actually became a Greek polis or a Greek city in AD 31. That's where Peter was from. Peter had a brother named Andrew. Andrew's actually a Greek name that would have been uncommon in that region of Palestine. 
Not only that, but Peter was a commercial fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, an international trade route where no doubt he's interacting with all kinds of people. Now, that doesn't mean, therefore, Peter knew Greek and spoke Greek fluently, but these are just things to consider before we just take at face value, oh, Peter was an Aramaic-speaking peasant who didn't know Greek. Not only that, but he traveled three years with Jesus, a rabbi. Peter himself traveled. And he preached in places that would have predominantly spoken Greek. So, again, don't just take, don't take my word or the word of other believers just and accept it like without diving into it and studying it. But also, don't let someone rattle you and shake your faith by some of the comments they make, no matter how confident and how bold that it might seem. So that being said, I think there's good reason that we have to believe that, yes, Peter was indeed the author of 2 Peter. Now, Peter is writing to believers, and, and there's, there's differences in, in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, but some of the things in common are he's writing to believers that are going through difficult times. Like I mentioned last week, like in introduction— like, there's a lot going on right now. It's probably the time when, when the Roman Empire is facing a lot of unrest, a lot of upheaval. There's economic pressure because they had, because Rome burned. And so economically, they're strained and stressed. Politically, they're strained and stressed. There's an emperor by the name of Nero who's an absolute bloodthirsty maniac, and he's killing people. He's trying to squelch anybody that he thinks might try to have this uprising. There's a lot of research that says he blamed that fire on Christians. Now, some say, well, Nero actually started it. We don't know that. That's much later information, and it's a possibility, knowing how ruthless that this guy was. But, but anyway, the, the point is, politically, things are crazy. Economically, things are crazy. There's social unrest. There's a lot going on without but Peter is encouraging Christians in 1 Peter about how to suffer as a believer. And now he's going to write to them about the importance of what's going on in, in them. Because he's going to remind them of what Christ has done for them. And what God, what the Lord is doing in them. So Peter says this. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I love the order of that. Peter, an apostle, a close follower of Jesus. But you know what he says before he says apostle? He says, I'm just a servant of Jesus. I'm a servant. You see this humility? And man, this is important. That we recognize like, you know, forget all the titles. Forget all the accolades. Forget all the jockeying for position of, of, of being recognized. And Peter says, man, I'm just a servant. I'm a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To them that obtained like precious faith. Through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, Peter's saying, look, I'm writing to you. We have obtained, he says, this like precious faith. And what he's pointing out is, man, the unity that believers have. As believers, as followers of Jesus, there's no caste system. There, there, there's, there is no, there shouldn't be any equal, um, inequality, I should say, within the body of Christ. There shouldn't be any of that. Why? Because we all have this like precious faith. This like precious faith. As believers, that we shouldn't be divided over an economic status, over race, over none of those things should divide us as believers. 
We have unity in the fact that we are all in the family of God, that we are all, uh, that we all value and meaning and, and worth because not only are we created by God, but because we have obtained this like precious faith. So Peter says, look, you have obtained this like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. The way this is constructed in the Greek, our God and Savior Jesus Christ, is it is impossible to read it any other way than saying that what Peter's saying is that Jesus is both God and our Savior. Now that's important because there are certain cults and certain groups that try to attack the deity of Jesus that say, well, Jesus wasn't God. Well, here's an, an example of just countless examples that we could give in Scripture that clearly show and teach that Jesus was God. Peter's saying, look, you've obtained this like precious faith through the righteousness of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and, our, and of Jesus our Lord. Two of the greatest gifts we have because we know the Lord are grace and peace. Because of the grace of God that we don't earn, we don't achieve, it's a gift. We've been given grace. We have this, this righteous standing before God. The theological term is justification. That we as sinners, fallen sinners, who've sinned against the holy and a righteous God, yet we stand, we can stand before God. In the righteousness of Jesus Christ, having a righteous standing before God. You know why? Because of grace. Not something we deserve. It's not something we earn. It's grace. Grace. And he says, because of that, you have peace. Grace and peace. That knowing that we have been justified, knowing we have the grace of God, we have peace with God and we have the peace of God. He's saying grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. And of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the, <coughs> excuse me, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us, notice this, exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I love this because Peter's saying, look, as believers, you have these things that God has done for you. You've been given this new nature. You have this new Lord. You have new desires. This has been given to you. And he says, because of this, you have precious promises. And here's the thing. The God that makes these promises is a God that's powerful to fulfill those promises. Look, how many of you have been promised something that someone hasn't followed through on? Empty promises, right? Like, like if I were to, if I were to cut you a check today, like I could write you a check today for a hundred thousand dollars. Like I could write it. I could write it. How many of you would like a check for $100,000 from me? Here's the problem. I could write you that check. But when you get to the bank, you know what you're going to realize? He didn't have the power to fulfill that promise. Because you're going to find out when you go to cash that, they're going to say, I'm sorry, there's insufficient funds by a long shot to, to follow through on the promise that was made. I was thinking about this uh, just this morning, actually, but when I, 
uh, was ministering with my father, there was a, a gentleman, he'd always come in, he'd be like, hey, preacher, what do we need? What does the church need? And, you know, he, my dad would like, you know, tell him a few things that maybe, you know, the, ch the church was saving for, wanting to get, and, and, and like, but it just like, it kept building. He'd always say, ah, the check will be in the plate. And finally, he's like, hey, preacher, how much we owe on this building? And it was like, you know, over a million dollars or something at the time. It's like, preacher, the check will be in the plate. You know what? That check was never in the plate. But this guy sure liked to make these promises. But here's the thing. When God makes promises, not only does he make them, but he has the power and the love, the grace to fulfill those promises to us as believers. And that's why Peter's saying, you have precious promises. Precious promises. Because we have a God that is powerful to fulfill those promises. So look, we see what God has done for us. This is salvation. This is what some of you guys were here last week when, when Joe Martinez gave his testimony. He was preaching from John 3 about, about that new birth and being born again. And we are born again. We have this new nature. We have this salvation that is what God does for us. We don't earn it. We don't achieve it. It's by faith in Jesus Christ, not by our works. So God works for us, but he doesn't stop there. Peter's now going to point out, not only God works for you by giving you that divine nature, by giving you a new nature, but he says, but God is working in you. So there's the nature, but there's also the nurture. The spirit of God is working in us. And so Peter's saying, hey, give diligence now that you add to your faith these other building blocks. Now, this doesn't mean that it's all in our power to do all these things. We would never do those things without that new nature that comes from, from the spirit of God. Amen. But these are things to add to our faith. Not to try to earn favor and earn salvation, but because we're saved, because we're a child of God. He's saying, okay, now add to your faith. Verse number five, giving diligence, all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. Virtue, knowledge. Knowledge, temperance. Temperance, patience. Patience, godliness. Godliness, brotherly kindness. And then to that brotherly kindness, charity or love. He's saying these are the building blocks. These are things that you should be adding to your faith. And the spirit of God is empowering you to add these things to your life. So let's look at some of these things, right? We're talking about what God has done for us, but now also what God is doing in us and through us. Because salvation isn't just that we're saved for heaven. We're saved, yes, for a place, but we're also saved to be conformed to the image of Christ. In other words, God works in us and through us. And some of these things I think are great evidences to us that we do know the Lord and that we are saved. Now, can we still struggle? Absolutely. In fact, I think Peter's going to point out, look, it's possible that you can become short-sighted. It's possible that you can have maybe a season in your life where you're, you're, you feel barren and unfruitful. Now, he's not saying like that's how it is all the time. That would, that would be really an indication someone's not a believer. If there's not that fruit. But he's saying, look, there can be times where you can forget what you were saved from. You can go through maybe a season of life of, of barrenness and unfruitfulness. And maybe you're here, you truly are a believer and you know the Lord. But maybe you've, 
you find yourself in that season right now. You just feel barren. You feel like there's not this fruit. You feel like you're struggling with these things. And I hope today this message both challenges and encourages you. So he says, look, add to your faith virtue. This is a, a moral excellence. And this doesn't mean you have to do these things to be saved. We're talking about what God does in us and through us after we're saved. This is virtue. This is moral excellence. Now look, this is one of those characteristics and traits that just is like counterculture. Our culture mocks this. Our culture laughs at this. Virtue, moral excellence, like being sexually pure in this culture. Oh, that's cute. That's funny. Oh, that's boring. But, but you know why people think that? And I mean this respectfully and kindly because they don't have a new nature. So of course it doesn't make sense. Of course it's boring that you should be committed sexually to your spouse only. Like that doesn't make any sense unless you have a new nature. We see that, that God says, look, add to your faith this virtue, this moral excellence. Add to that, he says, add to that virtue uh, knowledge. Add to your virtue knowledge. So this is our knowledge of who God is. Our knowledge of God and we know who God is through his word. And this is important. In fact, this is really important because the next chapter, Peter's going to warn them that there's false teachers out there that are preaching untrue things. And how do you recognize those untrue things? Because of your knowledge of God and his word. Because there's a lot of counterfeits out there. In fact, we were, Millie and Megan, a few of us, we were having a conversation the other day with a group of people. And, and a question came up like, well, I mean, like, look at all these religions. Look at all these denominations. Like, I mean, how do you know you're the right, you're the right one? Or how can we know that there's, there's truth? I'm kind of summarizing, but that's kind of how one of, the, how one of the conversations was. And we were talking about a lot of different topics, which was a good time. And I was thankful we were able to have that conversation but it's like, okay, just because there's counterfeits, it doesn't follow that there's not the real thing, right? But, but how do we know what's counterfeit and what's real? Well, we have to have the knowledge of God and his word. And God has actually revealed truth to us. It's not just out there for us to just guess and wonder, well, don't really know who's right, who's wrong. Don't even know if there is truth. And if we do, what, if there is truth, what is it? Well, well, God has spoken, right? God has given us his word. God, as believers, given us his spirit so we can understand his word. And so that's why it's important we know this. It's important that we have a knowledge of the word of God. That we have a theology of what we believe about God and about his word. And we should be passionate about this. Of knowing the word of God. Having a hunger for the word of God. And not just with the word of God, but even like what we listen to, like our music, it should be rich in theology. And I'm not saying we got to be stuffy and we can never have like, you know, fun, goofy songs. Like a couple of weeks ago, we had vacation Bible school and, and some of the songs were really rich in theology. One of the kids, the songs the kids sang, wasn't that a blessing? You know, some of the songs were just goofy. We're just having fun. Look, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, we just don't have to be, like, super stuffy about it and legalistic about it. But I will say this. We need to recognize the importance that we're saturating ourselves in the Word of God. The songs that we're singing, like, not just when we gather as a church, but on our own. It should be things that are truly speaking theology about who God is. About the truth of God's Word. 
We need to add to our, our faith this virtue and add to virtue knowledge. He goes on and add to this knowledge. Again, this is stuff not just that we in our own power do. This is what the Spirit of God's doing in us. But we need to give diligent to, diligence to this. Add to these things to your life. A building blocks of our faith is, is the way that one commentator put it. Add your faith virtue. Add to virtue knowledge. Knowledge temperance. This is just a self-control, right? doesn't mean you just, whatever I feel like doing, I'm going to go out and do. Now, this might sound like a contradiction, but the best way to have self-control is when we allow the Holy Spirit to control us. It's really a, maybe a better way to put it. It means we don't just follow the, the desires and lust of our flesh. We don't just follow everything that we want to do. Don't just live on impulse and what seems good in the moment. You have temperance, you have self-control. It doesn't add to that patience, or this is just endurance. Some of you guys, uh, how many of you guys ran the Bix yesterday? A couple, a couple. Hey, first service, we had quite a few more guys. So I don't know what's, what's up with our 11 o'clock crowd. But um, I did, not only did I not run it, I didn't walk it. I didn't even go. I wasn't even in town for it. I live in Davenport. I've still never run the Bix, but it's on my bucket list. One of these years. <laughs> Maybe next. Anybody want to run it with me next year? All right, let's, let's do it. All right. Training starts now. No donuts, we're training. All right, sorry. First service, I went way over. It's probably because I'm goofing off and, and not staying on track. Patience, though. Endurance. Endurance. This is, this is playing the long game, so to speak. And I know it's not a game, right? But, but you understand the expression. This is, this is just consistency. This is faithfulness. You know, the longer I do ministry, the more I realize how important this is. Because sometimes people can be very talented. They can have great ability, but they just burn out. They don't last. And, and that's why you need to look at it. We need to look at it like the, the words of uh, the author of Hebrews about running the race with patience, running that race with endurance. Because consistency is what's going to be important in the Christian faith. Instead of just burning out and like, man, just sprinting, like the, the two of you that ran the Bix, like, it, look, if you just like dead sprint right away, you're not going to make it. You're not going to finish that race. And you know, our Christian life, and this doesn't mean, please don't take this wrong, because sometimes I think we can hide behind that and not recognize, look, it takes sacrifice. Right? It takes sacrifice. And we need to be willing to make sacrifices, amen, for the cause of Christ and to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. It takes sacrifice. But don't get so burnt out in, in thinking like you, it's got to be this dead sprint. Just your consistency of walking with the Lord each day, of reading his word each day, of, of listening to the word, of, of, of playing songs and having a meaningful time of worship and prayer before God each day. It's like, oh, it's got to be three hours a day. Well, no, it can just be a few minutes, but be consistent. Be consistent. Have this, this patience or this endurance. This is part of the building blocks of what we're adding to faith, not to be saved. This is God's spirit working through us. Amen. God's the one that's doing us. God's the one that's doing this in us. Not only does he work for us, but he's working in us. He's working through us. And then he says, and, and to patience, godliness. This is just living a holy life, living how God wants us to live. Having brotherly kindness. 
Oh, that just sounds simplistic. Yeah, but let me ask you this. Like, how do you treat people? How do you treat your spouse? How do you treat your children? Sometimes we cannot show kindness to the people that are the closest to us. And I think this could be an indication when we're just angry and stressed all the time and short with people all the time. It, it could be an indication that we're not truly walking with the Lord and walking in the Spirit. That, that, we're, that we're not, as Peter's going to say, we're, 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 we're starting to live maybe short-sighted. We're forgetting the very things God saved us from. If, if these things aren't evident in our life, and again, not that these are going to be perfect in our life, but these are things we should see God doing in us and through us. And then he says, uh, kind, add to kindness, charity, just a love, a love for, yes, God, but, but this, this charity here, it's talking about just a love for the people around us, a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, a love for the people that God has placed in our life. Peter's saying, listen, God's done a work for you, but he's also doing a work in you. These are the building blocks that should be characteristics or evidence of what God's doing in us. He says, for if these things be in you and abound, they will make that you're neither barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, if you're constantly diligent about these things, about about submitting and surrendering to the spirit of God in you, working these things in you, he says, you're not going to be barren and unfruitful. In fact, he says, the person that lacks these things in verse nine, he says, but he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off. He says, he's forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore rather brethren, he says, give diligence. Here's that word again, give diligence to make your calling, your election sure. In other words, what should give us confidence of our salvation in Christ is the ongoing work of the Spirit of God in us. It doesn't mean that we have to do these things to gain or to keep our salvation, but it should give us a confidence, an assurance of our election, an assurance of our salvation, that these things are happening in our life. In verse 11, he says, for the entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whoa, that almost seems like he's saying, man, if you want to enter into heaven, you better earn it and do all these things. But that's not what Peter's saying. This, this abundant entrance, this is more the language of like an award ceremony for an athlete, meaning that, look, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone not by our works. And we all say amen, because if it's up to us, we're doomed. We will never make it. We will never be able to attain that righteousness. But thank God, it's based on the righteousness that's found in Jesus Christ. Amen. And we can have that assurance. But that being said, what we do for the Lord and what he does in us and through us in this life, it matters. It matters. And, and it can have an impact upon eternity. Not whether or not we make it or not, but that abundant entrance. In other words, I think that there'll be a more of a, of a rejoicing in the sense, we'll be thankful that we made our life count for Christ. And I think this is what Peter is saying. He says, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of those things. So Peter's going to talk about, hey, listen, I don't know how much longer I have in this life. He says in verse uh, 14, he says, 
Uh, he's like, I think it means as long as I'm in this tabernacle. That's just a, a way of saying as long as I'm in this body, as long as I have like this life. He's like, I want to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle. He said, in other words, I don't think I've got much time in this life is what Peter's saying. He's like, that's why I'm writing with urgency. That's why I'm writing with you. Please give diligence to these things. Make this calling and election sure. I want you to have confidence, not only in what God has done for you, not only in the promises that he gives to you, but the fact that he's working in you. He's like, I don't want you to be unfruitful. I don't want you to be unfruitful. And that's why he's saying, look, when you're adding to your faith, the virtue and the knowledge and the patience and the self-control, all these things, he's, he says, look, if, if you're doing these things, if the spirit of God's doing these things in you, he says, you're not going to be barren. You're not going to be unfruitful. You're going to be a Christian that is bearing fruit, that's making an impact. And he's saying, look, I want to stir you up about these things. I want you to be fired up about these things. And look, first of all, maybe you're here today and you genuinely don't know the Lord as your Savior. You are in a great place and we're glad you're here. We want you to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and, and again, it's not by your works. It's by the finished work of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have nothing to boast about, nothing to brag about. We have no reason to look down on anyone because anything good in us is what God has done for us and what God is doing in us and through us. And we want you to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe though today you, you're here and you are a believer and a follower of Christ. Like you genuinely have put your faith in Jesus Christ. But honestly, maybe right now you feel like you're in a season of barrenness and unfruitfulness. Now again, if there's never been any fruit in your life, the question, are you truly a believer? Are you truly a follower of Christ? Because if you're truly a follower of Christ, there's going to be evidence of that. There's going to be fruit of that. The Spirit of God changes us, gives us that new nature, right? But it is possible as a believer to maybe go through a season of, of barrenness and maybe even for a time, unfruitfulness. And maybe that's where you find yourself because you've forgotten the very things you were purged and saved from. Maybe it's other voices that are speaking into you right now. Maybe people from your past before you were a believer and, and not that you shouldn't be kind to them and love them and try to bring them to faith in Christ, but you know, like they're starting to influence you and you're starting to listen to those voices. Maybe it's just what we're bombarded with in our culture. You're just listening to these voices. I promise you what you're, what you're seeing on social media, what you're seeing on TikTok, what you're seeing on Instagram is, are not things that are full of virtue. <laughs> Let's just put it like that. You're probably seeing a completely different message. And again, I recognize we have liberty in Christ that I don't want to be stuffy and say, oh, we can't have any of that. But we better be cautious what we are allowing to influence our life. What we are allowing to influence our children. Because what are we thinking on? It's the things we're watching, the things we're listening to. Are those voices of truth? And maybe for some of you, you find yourself just in this season of barrenness and unfruitfulness. Maybe because... You've forgotten the very thing that Christ saved you from. You're starting to listen to those voices that are not voices of truth in your life. Maybe right now, 
the reason why you have barrenness or unfruitfulness is because you're resisting that purging that God is doing in you, the pruning that God's doing in you. Any of you guys have fruit trees or had, had fruit trees in, in the past? When, uh, when my family moved from Rockford, Illinois to Geneseo, Illinois, we had, there was a whole orchard, a whole orchard of apple trees. I think there was a pear tree. But you know what? That first year or two, there was no fruit, hardly any fruit. And so we asked somebody, we asked someone that was like, that was their area of expertise. Hey, what's going on? Can you come and take a look? And, and they came and they said, I know exactly what you need to do. And he said, it's going to be painful and it's going to look really, really bad. And you're probably not going to have much fruit this year. He said, what you need is to prune these trees. You need to cut back because what's happening is the, the, the sucker branches that are growing up, they're stealing all of that life and energy. He said, what you need to do is, is you need that pruning. You need to cut back some of these branches. And let me just say this, sometimes the pruning in our life is necessary because there's sucker branches. There's things that are pulling away. They're zapping us of all spiritual, emotional, and sometimes even physical energy. And that's why we're not having that endurance and that patience. Because we're just so stressed and overwhelmed. And maybe right now, it seems like a season of barrenness or unfruitfulness. It could just be that God is, is purging and pruning some things in your life. And it's not that God's angry with you and punishing you for some sin. I mean, maybe it is some sin in our life that God is, is purging away and taking away. Maybe God is just preparing us for a more fruitful season in our life for his glory. And so be patient through that. Don't resist. Don't resist that. Don't, don't become complacent. Don't become, as Peter said, short-sighted. And thinking, I just got to get through this thing. It could be that that's the season that you're in. Maybe there's sin that needs to be purged. Or maybe God's just pruning some things away that aren't even necessarily like sinful things. They're just things that are sucking the life and energy out of you. And maybe those are some things that God is pruning right now. So I hope today this message encourages us. Look, Christ, God... It has done great things for us. We can hold on to and claim those promises of God because he's a faithful God who will follow through. He's a promise maker and he's also a promise keeper. And he will finish. He will complete what he promises because he has the power to do so. But maybe you're discouraged today. Maybe you're just in a season of, of barrenness or unfruitfulness for whatever reason, don't be discouraged today. And don't resist that pruning. Don't resist what God, it might seem painful, but don't resist what God is doing in your life. Maybe there truly are some people or things that you need just pruned out of your life because it's sucking all your spiritual energy out. And have that courage and that confidence to trust God with that. Don't resist the Holy Spirit in working in your heart and life. Don't ignore him. Don't become short-sighted. Allow God to work in you. Because God has definitely done a work for us. God is definitely doing a work in us. Don't resist his moving and his working. And surrender your heart. Surrender your life to what the Spirit of God wants to do 
in you. If you're here today, you're not a believer, you don't know the Lord. I truly mean this. Like, we're glad you're here. And our desire is that you would come to that saving faith in Jesus Christ today. If you're here, you are a believer, but you just, there's things that you would like uh, just to maybe talk with, with me or pray with me about. I'd be happy to do that. Don't leave today before talking to me. Maybe you're in a rush today. You need to get going, but would you set up a time? I, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to meet up and just talk with you about this. And at 930, I said the same thing, was able to set up a couple meetings just already, already for this next week. If there's something you're struggling with, not that you have to come to me and talk to me, but I want you to know that I'm available if you want to talk through these things, if you want to pray together through these things. And, and, and if you don't know Christ, don't delay that. Don't put that off. Trust in him as your Lord and Savior today. Turn to him for salvation.